direction, what it is that you're hearing, what it is that you're seeing, what it is that you're reading. It feels like we are just surrounded by falsehood and and by lies, and we're taught to question everything that we hear and that we see. Some of you in this place this morning, you're saying, man, I feel like my life is a lie. As I'm in church this morning, I feel like I'm living two different lives at the same time. And this is the world that we find ourselves in. This is the culture that we find ourselves in. In fact, if you want to be relatively liked and accepted and, and valued in 2018 in, in Juneau, Alaska, here, here's what you have to do. All simultaneously, you, you have to uh, believe nothing, right? Stand for something, accept everything and question it all, all at the same time right? It's impossible. You have to do this crazy mix of all these different things. Stand for something, believe nothing, question everything, and accept everyone and everything all simultaneously. Listen, guys, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting to live in 2018 and navigate in a world where we have to question everything. My wife keeps telling me that for the sake of the church and and for myself that I need to be more active online on on social media and Facebook and Twitter and all these things. And and it's really hard for me because I go, man, whatever I say, right? You guys feel this way? Whatever I say, I feel like there's going to be this list of comments of like, well, this is why that's not true. And and you see it this way, but I, you know, and it's just going to be like, man, I just don't want to deal with that. It's like, how do we decipher what is true and what isn't? And let's, let's take that a little bit further. Uh, on top of us living in, living in this world where we have to question uh, everything, you also have every, virtually every piece of collective information since the beginning of mankind in your pocket, right? And you have to question all of it. You have access to all the information you could ever imagine or ever want, and yet there's something inside of you that every time you, you Google something, you're like, well, is that really true? Is that really, you know, is that just their perspective? Is that just their interpretation of what is true? Yet, in order for you to function and and live a life and make decisions and go about your day, you have to believe something, don't you? You have to find some kind of uh, system of, of, of living out your life. Otherwise, you're going to be completely lost and unable to make decisions constantly. And so we all try to find our own uh, system of uh, belief. And some people are bold enough to call it their truth, right? You know, you know, this is my truth. It doesn't have to be your truth. But it's my truth, and I choose to operate in this truth. And I'm glad that you have your own truth, but this is my truth, and it works for me. And it doesn't seem to matter if it's right or wrong or, or anything like that, as long as you have some kind of truth. And what I find from my perspective um, as a pastor, I get to have a lot of uh, really interesting conversations with, with a lot of people. And as we go on and as we grow, I get to have more and more uh, of them in coffee shops and grocery stores and, and all this kind of thing. And, and, and here's what I find. I find this very, very tragic. It, it seems to me that the truths that would do us the most, most good are the ones that we reject. And the truth that often does us the most harm are the ones that we accept. 
So often in, in our world, the, the truth that would do you, do you the most good are the ones that you push back on and that you don't want to let in. But then we very easily let in the truths. We let in comments. We let in uh, Facebook posts and things like that, that that do us the most harm. And it seems like there's something inside of our nature that naturally rejects what is truth and tries to hold on to what is falsehood and what is a lie. What I want to do today, uh, well, in fact, what I'm going to do later uh, is tell you and plead with you and, and show you that as a Christian, as a believer, if you spend uh, a period of time every single day in the Word, and what we believe as Christians to be God's truth, the absolute truth, that it will radically change and transform your life. And I'm going to plead with you at some point in, in my sermon today, I'm going to plead with you, get into the word, grab, a, grab one of the reading plans, read what we're all reading, get on the same page. And here's what I know is going to happen this morning. And the reason why I know is because I've sat where you're sitting right now and I've responded this way before in my own life. What's going to happen is many of you are going to say, well, Marcus, he is always so extreme. He's always like taking things to the extreme. So when I tell you it's going to change your life, it's going to infiltrate every area of your life, it will radically transform everything that you know and experience. Get in the word of God on a consistent basis and watch it transform you. Some of you are going to go, well, yeah, I know it's good, but does it really have that much power? And most of you probably aren't going to leave this place and actually do it. It's just the reality of it. There's going to be something in you that rejects it. Now, I hope this morning and I pray that some of you are going to go, you know what? He's right. And you're going to grab a reading plan. You're going to go onto our website and you're just going to start getting into the word even when you don't feel like it, believing that it's going to transform you. But I know that there's something in our nature, there's something in our sin, something in our flesh that causes us to reject the things that we kind of know are true but we, but we kind of push back on them because they, they would do us good. And we accept the things so easily that do us the most harm. What I'd like to do this morning in, in John chapter 8, I'd like to show you this morning that there is, in fact, hope. I'd like to show you this morning that there is such thing as absolute truth and that there is freedom from the stress of trying to navigate your life and make decisions and figure out your identity and figure out who you are and all of these kinds of things, that there's freedom from that found in truth. There's freedom from the having to question everything that you see and everything that you read. There's freedom from questioning God. There's freedom from questioning even your own identity. So with that being said, let's go ahead and, and jump into God's word. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word as we declare God's word over us uh, today? We're in John chapter eight. We're gonna start in verse 31. Jesus uh, had just declared that he is the light of the world. You remember that from our I Am series? He just declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it says that many of the Jews believed him. And so now we pick it up in verse 31, and, and Jesus says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. If I speak, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your fa- that your father did. And they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God was your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray. I pray, Lord, this morning that your truth would come and it would transform us, that it would set us free. For freedom, God, you have set us free. I pray, Lord, that the lies about who you are and the lies about who we are would be uh, dispelled and disproven this morning as your truth, God, comes and transforms us. We ask, Lord, that, that you would help us to be receptive and hear, God, what you might be speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm basing everything that I say from here on out this morning on the idea that Jesus himself is truth. And so I believe and we teach here at Awaken that not only is what, uh, uh, not only is what all of Jesus, Jesus said true, all of his teachings true, but he himself is true. Not just his words, but a descriptor of his character, a descriptor of his nature is true. We believe and we teach here at Awaken that God is true and therefore Jesus Christ is true. Within him is truth. Does that make sense? Just as you are made up of flesh and blown and there is blood flowing through your veins, there is truth flowing through God and therefore flowing through Jesus Christ. He is truth. It is who he is. I'm going to press this really hard and then we're going to come back and press on it again because I want you to see this and understand this this morning, understand what I'm saying. Do you remember in the beginning of John, John chapter one, verse one, when we started all of this months and months ago? In fact, let's flip back. Let's go to John chapter one and let's, let's read this again and, and help give us a little bit of a foundation for what we're talking about this morning. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it'll be, again, up here on the screens. It says this, In the beginning was 
the word. In your Bible, that should be a capital W, was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. You hear the repetitiveness of that? Jesus was the word in the beginning with God, and he was God, and nothing was made without him, including us. And it goes on to say in verse four, in him was the life, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then it goes on to introduce John. Let's skip that and pick it back up in verse 14. And it continues on saying, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son uh, from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth, full of grace and full of truth. Not that he just tells a lot of truth. He is filled with truth. What is right? What is true? What is life? What is light? Do you remember what we've repeated over and over again? The purpose of the book of John is, right? The purpose why we're in the book of John. John tells us at the end of the book in, ver- in chapter 20, verse 31, he says the purpose of his book, of his writing all this and, and telling us all of this is this in verse 31. But the- these things are written so that you might, do you remember? Believe, it's okay, believe, right? That Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We could add truth in there and, and, and drive that point home a little bit more and say the purpose of this book, these things are written so that you might believe the truth, right? The truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing that truth that you might have life in his name. So you hear what I'm driving this morning? Jesus is truth. Everything that flows from him is truth. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character. It's part of his identity. That is why in verse 46 of our text this morning, Jesus can say, which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you can convict me of any sin? I'm not going to end my sermon that way this morning. I'm not going to stand up here and go, look, which one of you convicts me of sin? Bad idea on my part, right? I hope that you'd have to think about it for at least a second, but every one of you would be able to stand up and go, well, yeah, you know, Marcus, you know, this and that. And if my life was up on the screens, bad day for me. And, And here's why. Because before and apart from the redeeming work of Christ in my life, I was nothing but falsehood, nothing but sin right? We, we know this. Scripture teaches us that apart from Jesus Christ, we, we are sinners. We are, we are opposite of God. In fact, we are warring against God in our flesh, right? This world is broken by sin, right? And so are we. So if it wasn't uh, for Jesus Christ, for him saving and redeeming me, saving and redeeming you, we, we would have nothing Nothing in our lives that that is good or true or right before God. Now, you might be able to look at the person next to you and be like, man, my life is good compared to them. You might be able to look across the office at your coworker and go, man, compared to them, I'm doing pretty good. I tell the truth. I am an honest person. But apart from Jesus Christ, in the eyes of God, no, sorry. There's nothing good in you. Nothing. This is the beauty of the gospel. 
You guys realize that? We don't talk about this stuff in church. Well, if we tell people that they're not good apart from God, they're going to be upset and it's going to hurt their feelings. No, no, no. This is the beauty of the gospel, that you were broken, that you were warring against God. And despite that, he grabbed you and he ripped you up out of that and brought you back to life. This is the truth that we hold on to. This is what we believe. Remember Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. And God brought you back to life. He brought you into the life, into the light, into the truth that is only found in him. Here's why I find this, find this absolutely beautiful. This is why I celebrate this in my life as a Christian. I hope that you increase and celebrate this more and more. I know without a shadow of a doubt that, that because there's nothing good in me apart from Christ, that, then the, the good or the truth that resides inside of me is literally God through the power of the Holy Spirit working and transforming and producing an incredible new reality inside of me. An incredibly uh, a new person with new uh, characteristics, with truth, with life, with hope. That it's not up to me. It's, it's not uh, based on my strength and my ability to pull myself together and come before God. No, everything that is good that comes out of my mouth comes from God. Every right decision that I choose to make, every, everything that begins to flow, the life that is within me comes from God. It doesn't come from me. And I celebrate that because God's way is better. His truth is better. His life is better. So whatever I could produce, as awesome as I could possibly be apart from Christ, is nothing compared to what I get to become in him. What I am becoming right now in him, what you are becoming right now as a Christian in Christ is better than anything you could ever produce on your own. That's why we celebrate this as Christians. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not, I was so awesome that God needed me so desperately that he came and he found me. And now that I'm on his team, the church is gonna grow and things are gonna go great and Juno's gonna be transformed because now I decided that I'm gonna pick Jesus and I'm gonna be on his team. God's like, oh, thank you. I've been waiting your whole life. No, no. You were completely oblivious to God. In fact, you were doing the opposite. And he said, hey, son, Daughter, come on, come on, come. And he began to transform and began to restore you because of the cross, because of the cross. So Jesus says, you will know, you will know the truth. And there's a transformative power to it. You will know the truth. And knowing this truth will change you. Things will be different because of you're knowing. This is a different kind of knowledge, isn't it? This is a different type of knowing than reading a news article and knowing what's going on on the other side of the world. This is a knowing that has a result, that has an effect. Let, let me give you an example. My, my wife, Jessica, sitting here in the front row turning beet red because I said her name. Um, I, I have known her uh, for 10 years now. We've known each other for 10 years, for a decade now, actually 11 years now. And, and before, uh, before I met her, I knew some things about her. 
Uh, I knew that she had just moved to the Portland metro area and she was new to the city and all of that. I knew that she loved sugary coffee drinks because I was a barista for years. I made her these disgusting sugary coffee drinks. And and, and I knew that she was close to her family, that she valued relationships uh, with her brothers and her sisters and her parents and that was really important to her. Um, I knew, in fact, that her her and her mom planted uh, giant sunflower seeds outside of their home in the country outside the city. In fact, I had pictures of that home from before I knew her because we used to stop and take pictures every year of this beautiful farmhouse with these huge sunflowers out front. So I knew some things about her. And then we started to date, we got engaged, we got married, and I I started to know more about her. But here's what began to happen. My character, my actions began to change as a result of that knowledge. So uh, I began to enjoy some of the foods that she enjoys. I began to eat things that I had never ate before and enjoy them with her. Uh, I began to, uh, to be a little bit more calm about, about life and, and calm down about decisions because she seemed to be so calm and, and carefree in, in this life and trusting. And I began to become more trusting like her. Um, I began to put ranch dressing on everything I ate. And I had never done that before. But you see, this, this knowledge came from just knowing things about her to literally having a, an effect on me. My knowledge began to transform me. My behaviors changed as a result of that knowledge of her. So Jesus says, if you abide in my word, notice he doesn't say words, not a plural, word. If you abide in my word, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and that truth will transform you. It will set you free. So when I hear that, when I read that, I have two questions that pop in my mind that I think that we need to answer this morning before we go any further. And those questions are this. What does it mean? What does it mean to abide or to remain in his word? And secondly, what are we being set free from? Why do I need to be set free? What does it mean to abide in his word? And what does it mean to be set free? So first off, remember I told you I was going to drive that point home twice about him being the word. So here it comes again in case you didn't hear it the first time. We need to understand that when Jesus says my word instead of my words, he's talking about the cumulative uh, entire sum of all that he has said and all that he's taught. And on top of that, he is talking about himself. He is talking about the fact that all of his commandments, all of his teachings, all of scripture, in fact, are drawing us in and pulling us towards him who is the truth. So what I'm saying this morning is that his commands, his teachings, when he tells us, you must be, to be my disciple, you must obey my commands. You must be obedient to my commandments. You must remain in my word. The purpose of all of that is that you would, in fact, remain in him through his commandments, through your understanding and and your doing and your experiencing of those things, that it would begin to show you and that you might experience more of Christ in those things. So here's the opposite. Maybe this will help clarify. Uh, 
Jesus' commands, his teachings, are not simply a set of rules and regulations so that he might stand over you and watch you be obedient to what he says just for the sake of obedience, right? That's how some of us view God. And so in rebellion against that, we say, well, I have grace. I don't need to do any of that. No, that's wrong too. The fact is that as we, as we submit in obedience, glad submission to his teaching and to the, to the scriptures, that it presses us into Christ who is the truth. That we read the truth, we experience the truth, and we go, God, you are amazing. Christ, you are awesome. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. It presses us into him because he is the truth. This is why, uh, remember when we did uh, the I am the vine, right? Jesus, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's why he can say, if you abide in, uh, in me and say, if you abide in my words, it's the same thing, right? If you abide in truth, it's the same as abiding in me because he is truth. They are one and the same because there is no truth that does not come from him. Is that confusing or is it clear? In my mind, it's kind of both. It's confusing and clear um, at the same time. Here, here let's, let's, let's take it a little bit further. Um, Matthew chapter five. Let's go to Matthew chapter five. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Classic uh, passage of scripture. Many of us know it from growing up in the church or, or whatever. I don't have this on the screen, but let's, let's walk this through this together. Uh, th- this is how we should approach scripture and see Christ in, in his teaching. So Sermon on the Mount, uh, we got the Beatitudes. You remember these? So uh, Jesus is is getting ready to teach them, and it says in in verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So these are teachings, right? He taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do we inherit the the kingdom of heaven where where God is? How do we enter into the presence of God in that way? Who, Who is it through? What means is it by? You can talk back. It's okay. There's one right answer in church. It's Jesus, right? Our, our kids, like my daughter, whatever, whatever question we answer is Jesus, Jesus. In this case right now, that, that, that's the right answer. Blessed are those who mourn for those who be comforted. Who is our great comforter? Jesus, thank you, Stephen, who, who raised Lazarus from the dead, but first wept with the people and can relate and is our great comforter in our times of need and mourning. It's Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. By what means do we inherit anything from God or our children of God that, that have any inheritance at all? Jesus, it's because of Christ and his death on the cross that we have an inheritance that is now found in him and sealed by the Spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you clothed in your own righteousness? No, the Bible says that you are cloaked. You are clothed in the righteousness of who? Jesus, it is his righteousness, right? That is now ours. When God sees you, he doesn't see how awesome you are. He sees Christ and his righteousness. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. How do we receive the mercy of God? Jesus Christ on the cross. If it wasn't for the cross, we would be condemned in our sin, right? But God has shown us mercy. He's shown us grace and forgiveness, and that was because of Jesus Christ on the cross. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, who is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of all creation, Colossians tells us. Jesus, who is it through that one day we might see God face to face? It's through Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We are adopted. You are adopted. Did you know that? You are adopted into the family of God because of who? Jesus. Because of him. He is the firstborn. And we are now adopted into the family because of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, who was persecuted beyond our comprehension first. Remember Hebrews tells us, I believe it's in Hebrews, right? I don't have this in my notes, that, that tells us to, to not forget, but to remember him who suffered greatly, right? And to be encouraged in that while we suffer in this life. It's Jesus. So what I want you to see this morning, and, and, and that example, and really in all of scripture, that truth points us back to Christ. We cannot get away from him. We, we can't have a truth separated from him. He is the culmination of all that is true within himself and all that he is for us as, his, as our Savior and as our Lord. So he's the center of it. Does that make sense? He's the center of all that's true, and everything flows out of that. He's the focus of that truth. So in light of that, what does it mean to abide in it? So if Jesus is the truth and that encompasses all of his commandments, all of his teaching and also all of his nature and all of scripture, what does it mean to abide in that? How is that possible? Abide means to remain, right? So how do we remain in that? That seems like a very difficult task. It, it simply means this. I, I believe that to remain in the truth, to remain in his word, it, it means to remain convinced of and shaped by it. To mean to be remain convinced of the truth and continue to be shaped by the truth. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to spend eight hours a day studying scripture and prayer. That's what you guys think I do, right? It's not, not the case. It doesn't mean that, that you have to quit your job and, and everything and, and just become uh, this, this kind of monk sort of figure in order to remain and abide in the truth, in the word. I know a lot of people that know a lot about the scriptures. I know a lot of people that know a lot about the Bible. They know the Greek. They know the Hebrew. They know how to, to tear it apart. They, they can just read it in the original languages. They, they can decipher it and, and cut it up way better than I can. But they know nothing about abiding in it. They know nothing about being shaped by it. In fact, I have a lot of friends. I know people that know way more about the Bible than I do. And it's very interesting. that It actually makes them the opposite of what I see in Christ. It makes them very angry, very judgmental. Can you believe that they don't know the truth like I do? They don't, can you believe they think this about God? They think this about the scriptures. And it makes them incredibly arrogant, right? Do you guys have friends like that? Or is it just me? Or like, you know, it's, it's the opposite. They know a lot about the Bible, but they don't, they're not shaped by it. They're not abiding in it. They're not being transformed by it. As, as we've grown here at Awaken, uh, we've talked about a lot of really hard truths 
I, especially since we started in the book of John, it seems like, man, every week it's like these really hard, really like in your face kinds of truths coming from the scriptures. And, and in light of that, I've had a lot of conversations with many of you where there's kind of this frustration in you. And, and at Awaken, we, we've kind of like pressed this thing of, of being all in on Jesus, we, we say sometimes. And what we mean by that, or, or what people hear by that is, man, we have to be, in order to be fully devoted to Christ, we have to be like at a church service every night, and we have to uh, sell our homes and quit our jobs and go to seminary. And it's like, you're just asking so much of us. I don't know how I'm going to be able to do all this. It just sounds like so much work and so much change. And I, I want to be a Christian, but I'm not ready to make that kind of massive sacrifice. And I have these conversations with people within our church. And so when I say that we need to be all in on Jesus, fully committed, fully devoted followers of Christ, what I'm talking about is not having our faith and our Christianity compartmentalized, right? Where it's just one piece. So we just go to church on Sunday, right? And then we do our Bible study and we do these things and that makes us a Christian and we kind of separate it from the rest of our lives. It feels a little bit like an obligation at times, going to church and, and doing all of these things. And so when we can get out of it, we try to get out of it because it feels like an obligation. It's not saturated into the rest of our lives. And so when I talk about this and say, I want you to be fully committed, what I'm talking about is this idea that as a Christian, because of the fact that you have been set free because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as your Savior, because you've been brought into these things, what I'm saying is that you need to cherish, believe, hold on to, be nourished by, be refreshed by, be persuaded so completely by the words of God, by the truth, that it saturates every area of your life. So the rhythm of your life doesn't change. The truth is central and it infiltrates all of those areas of your life. So as you go to work, as you hang out with friends, as you uh, have social clubs and gatherings and dinners and in your marriage and in everything about your life, you don't quit all of that and change all of those behaviors, but rather the truth is central and therefore has an effect on every area of your life, the ebb and the flow and the rhythm of your life. That's what it means to abide to abide is for the truth of who Jesus Christ is to be your most precious treasure, your most valued possession. It's not that you don't have other things in your life, okay? It's not that you don't have other responsibilities and obligations and things that you do. It's that above all of them is Jesus Christ as your most prized possession, and I think in the church that we have done a real disservice, especially in the United States, to Christians, because we've made Christianity into a series of programs and events. And so it's no wonder that as we grow up, especially those of us that have grown up in the church, we see it as a set of responsibilities and obligations and events. And yeah, if I, you know, at one point I used to go to the prayer service too, and that's when I was really following the Lord. But now I've, I've kind of drifted off, so I only come on Sunday morning, or I only come every Sunday morning, or every other Sunday morning. And, and we, we've, we've made Christianity into a program instead of a treasure, right? Instead of a possession, 
Our salvation is something given to you. It is a free gift given by God to you. You you remember that. And so we hold on to it. We cherish it. We grasp, we hold tightly to it, so tightly. We love it so much that we can do nothing else without being pulled back to it. It is the central truth, Christ, right dead center in the middle of our lives. We can't get away from it. That's what it means to abide. That's what it means to abide. Seeing and savoring Christ rightly and remaining there. The rightly is important. The other thing that we've done in the church is we've taught half rightly a lot of things about God and a lot of things about Christ and the gospel. But when we understand rightly and remain there in the presence of God and the word, we are abiding. So Jesus is the truth. He is, and the sum of all of his teachings, all of scripture is truth, and we are to remain and abide there, holding on to it as our most precious possession. And you will know the truth, and it will set you free. So what is it setting us free from? Sin, right? If you, if, you are, uh, if you are not set free, then you are a slave to sin. And, and I think that we are often so cavalier uh, with, with that word, sin, and the idea of sin within our lives. And I, I think that we just often don't think of it the way that Scripture teaches it. I, I think that, first of all, we, we think of it very often as something that we do instead of something that we primarily are that flows into what we do ap- apart from Christ. And even now in Christ, there's these two uh, natures that are warring with one another. But on top of that... I find it very interesting that we, we kind of glamorize sin. Here's what I mean. I'm guilty of this too, so, so no judgment coming from me. But have you ever watched somebody, I'm not going to say it was you, but have you ever watched somebody else uh, have a beautiful, presented piece of chocolate mousse cake in front of them with the drizzle just perfectly on top and some homemade whipped cream and everything was like just Perfect. Maybe some like chilled chocolate crumble on top of it. And it's just like amazing. And, and t- they take a bite of it and they put it in their mouth. They close their, their eyes. And, and when, I, when I really enjoy something, I go, mmm, really loud. And then they go, this is so good. It should be a sin. You ever said that before? Right? This is so good. This should be a sin to eat this. Now, you saying that is relatively innocent. It's just a turn of phrase that that we have kind of picked up within our culture. But the reality of what we're saying, if we think about that a little bit further, the reality of what we're saying is that because we enjoy it, it must not be of God. In fact, it's something that God wants to take away from us. And so if I come to the truth, if I come to Christ, if I I become obedient to his teachings— then my life is going to be boring. It's going to be miserable. It's not going to be filled with anything that is good. God wants to take that all away from me because it's sin which gives us pleasure, right? Pleasure is attached to sin. Like think, think of like the most, probably the, the biggest example is Las Vegas, right? What's its nickname? Sin City. And it's this idea of this place of, of all the pleasures that you could possibly imagine. It's just this wonderful place. And God wants to take that all away from you. If you turn away from your sin, you turn away from pleasure. 
Instead of, instead of seeing like uh, sex as this beautiful thing between a husband and wife as an act of worship to God, we, we see it as, no, that's something that's in Vegas and it's a pleasure and, and God wants to take it away from me and make it boring and all this kind of thing. And so we see sin as kind of the fun life and then we see God as wanting to remove that from us, the truth removing that from us. And our life is just going to be miserable, so boring, so uneventful. Can I tell you that that's not what sin is? Sin is not, it might be pleasure in the moment for a, for a second, but what it is, is it is what enslaves you. That's what the Bible says. And man, if you ever, if you ever watched somebody just kind of continue on in their pleasure until it absolutely destroys them, right? We've all seen it. We have family members. We have friends, right? We've seen people do this over and over again. The fact of the matter is that the father of lies would like you to know or believe that sin is pleasure and that God wants to take that away from you and make your life boring. But the reality is, is that as C.S. Lewis said, finding that comfort, finding that pleasure is, is momentary, and then the fact we're left empty and unfulfilled. We wonder why depression and anxiety and stress and all of these things are so prevalent within the church. I think it might be because of the fact that we don't see things rightly. I think we need to flip those things around. Jesus said, you will know the truth and it will set you free. Not, not it will heap burden upon your shoulders. It will set you free. The fact of the matter, we, we talk often here um, at, at Awaken about the fact that when Christ comes in and illuminates your life, the things that you experience in this life become better. They become more beautiful, more incredible. The experience is just heightened and intensified. You eat that same chocolate cake and you go, God, you are awesome. How did you make this? This is amazing. I love that cream and fat and sugar when it's brought together makes my taste buds just go insane and the endorphins just go through the roof. God, you are awesome that you made me this way and that you made chocolate mousse cake. And, it, and, and you think I'm joking, but I'm serious. Like it should draw us to worship. Everything should draw us to worship because the experience is incredible. And even when life isn't incredible, it more often than not isn't. Life typically sucks. If you live in this world, it's a fallen world, it's probably gonna suck more often than it's good. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of being in Christ is that we have a joy, we have an experience that outlasts and sustains us through the crap in this life. I'm sorry, there's kids in here, I shouldn't say that. But I'm gonna like get an email now. Shoot, I'm gonna get my first email. Oh no, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we, we should experience it in a way where, where our joy in Christ carries us through those things. Many, many people in our text this morning, they heard Jesus say this. They heard him declare this. Some of them believed and some of them didn't. Did, did you hear their response to him? Right, and we opened our passage. It said that many believed him, that he was the light of the world. And then did you hear how he started to talk to them? He called them slaves to sin. He called them children of the devil. Right? They're like, we believe you. He's like, you're a child of the devil. And then they start to argue again, right? No, we're children of Abraham. No, you're not, sorry. We're children of God. No, you're not, sorry. Some of them believed and some of them didn't. 
when we started this church and, and, and just really said, you know what we're going to do? We're just always going to just try to proclaim the truth as best as we possibly can. And we're going to believe that, that we don't have to have uh, this kind of um, topical message that will help everyone feel just very excited and part of this really cool, exciting thing. So no, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to stick to the truth as closely as we can. And we're going to believe that it's actually going to set people free. We're going to believe that we don't have to cherry, uh, you know, coat it. We don't have to cover it in sugar and all this kind of things. But, but we can tell people, look, you were dead. And then Christ brought you back to life. And it will be actually good news. Then we can say, you're not awesome. That's not why God chose you. He chose you and he made you awesome in him. And it'll be good news. And so with that, we've, we've brought like hard truth after hard truth, just believing that it'll set you free, believing that people will be set free. How many of you in the room this morning are, are a Christian? Raise your hand. Most of us, right? Believers? Okay, how many of you still struggle often with anxiety? People with anxiety don't want to raise their hand, but... I did for 10 years of my life. How many of you struggle uh, with incredible levels of stress often? Okay. How many of you struggle uh, with believing that God truly is good when you look at the world today? Nobody. Awesome. Some dishonest people. How many of you lie still, even though you're a Christian? <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of hands go up. How, how many of you still struggle with who you are in Christ, even though you know you're a child of God? How many of you still struggle with that? Yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm convinced, because my own story, my own experience, I am convinced that the reason why you can be in Christ, be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, be a believer, and be Free, like most of you would say, are, are you set free? You'd be like, oh yeah, I'm free, I'm free. Yet your life doesn't mirror that. You're still living as if you're not. The chains have literally fallen off of you. You are no longer enslaved as you've come to believe and trust in the name of Jesus Christ, but yet you still operate as if you are enslaved. And here's, here, here's what I believe that that has to do with. Half-truths. It has to do with not actually knowing the full truth. It's knowing things halfway. It's knowing that uh, the gospel has given you eternal life. Oh yeah, I, I'm gonna be in. I'm gonna be in heaven somewhere with with God for all eternity. That, that's not how it's gonna go, by the way. In case you're wondering, it's, but that's what most of us kind of think. Well, yeah, God, I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna be with God somewhere, right? And that's why, that's why Jesus died on the cross was just so that I would have that. We don't understand the whole truth of the gospel. The fact that you're being set free and changed right now and all the implications it has on your life. We see church as a place that we go. I go here on Sunday because I'm a Christian and it's helpful for me to hear a message. And, and I, I do enjoy the songs. It's cool to see them live. And I, you know, I hear them on the radio and then we sing them together. And, and we kind of know some half-truths. I believe that as we pursue together at this church the truth, the whole truth, as it's just plainly laid out for us right here, when we draw near Christ together, I believe that we will truly be set free in this place. See, I, I, as a believer, I don't want you to have to say you're set free and, and not have your life actually be that reality. 
I want you to hear, receive, comprehend, and abide in the truth. And the truth will, will set you free. Can anyone convict Jesus of sin? No. Is he a liar? What he says is true, isn't it? Anything that God says does not return to him void, right? So, So when he says, you will know the truth as a child of God, As a believer, as one who's been saved and redeemed, you will know the truth and it will set you free. There's not a maybe there. So Christian, you are set free. Begin to comprehend and understand what what that means for you. See if you can go ahead and come on back up. Uh, Grab a reading plan. I think there's one left over there, so that's my bad. You'll have to run to the table. The first one to get it gets it. But it's on, it's on our website as well. There's a little link there to start reading the scriptures. Let the truth of them pour over you. Start, start to go, okay, what, are this, what does this mean? Not, not what the church taught me when I was a kid. What does this mean? And find out for yourself. Start to dig into it. Because in that truth, you will be set free. Start pursuing community. Start pursuing relationships with one another. Oh, my prayer is that someday that that people will be coming early to church because they're so excited just to be around believers. They're so excited to share the truths that they're discovering with one another. So excited to sing together uh, about these truths. So excited to celebrate together all that God has done. Not seeing this as an obligation. Man, my desire is that you'd be set free from church. That you would enjoy your time here. Look forward to it. Ah, that it would never be a burden. That small groups and community would never be a burden. That it would be what you cherish as you share the truths of God together.